You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Thank you, Derek and Courtney. Thank you, Rick. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Glad we can be together and praise the Lord as we begin our new year. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16. Yes, we're continuing on in the story of the Exodus of God's people. So we're going to be covering um, specifically the topic of how the Lord provides over the next few weeks out of chapter 16 through 18. So if you want to read ahead, kind of read along with us, we'd encourage you to do that. Uh, We've been journeying together through Exodus, learning about who our God is as he introduces himself and makes himself known to his people, as he creates a nation, as he calls that nation out of bondage and into freedom. And so there's a lot of, um, there's really a foreshadowing, a lot of things for us as New Testament believers that we can glean from this story, that we can learn from, that we can uh, caution ourselves from as far as how the Israelites interacted with their God who saved them from bondage and slavery over 400 years. So it's been a really good study, and we're going to continue on this morning. So if you would pray with me, and we'll open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence always. Even as Scott talks about last week, every time the Israelites questioned or feared or doubted or wondered, who is this God? Is he really here? Is he really with us? All they had to do was open the flaps of their tent and look and the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. You were there. The Lord is there. You're always with us. You never forsake us. You never leave us. And and Father, as we go into a new year, that's all the more true. You're, You're with us. And because the calendar has turned and we are in a new year, Father, and we're still here, Lord, we know that you have a work to do in us and a work to do through us. You have a mission for your church. We have to take the gospel to the world. And so this morning, Lord, please help us in our fatigue and our tired and kind of just coming through a very busy season. Many of us maybe are drained and we just need refreshing, Lord. And as you gave your people refreshment at Elam with springs of water and palm trees, Lord, you gave them rest even as they left Egypt and we're about to go into the desert. Father, please give us rest this morning and refresh us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear from you, to listen, to understand your word. Help me to be clear, Father, and I pray ultimately you'd help us to obey, that we would actually live out what we, what we believe, Lord. So we thank you for this morning. We're excited for what you have for us, Father. Uh, you're an amazing God. You are good. You are faithful. You are just. You're a God of mercy and a God of grace, and you, we know how much you love us because you sent your Son to die for us. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Let's read together, read uh, Exodus chapter 16. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're only going to cover uh, part of it this morning, uh, and there'll be some overlap for next week as well. We're going to look at how the Lord provides specifically bread from from heaven this morning, the manna from heaven. Chapter 16. So as Scott said, they were in Elam. They were in this little mini oasis they were being provided for with water and shade and some rest. And so now they set out from Elam. Um, And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, 
which is between Elam and Sinai. And the wilderness of sin, it's not sin in the, in the way that we think of it. It's not missing the mark. It's just, it's called sin because it's in the, the, the area of Sinai. So it doesn't mean that they're walking into a sinful desert that will cause them to sin, right? On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And I'll just pause there once again. That's important, the 15th day of the second month. And if you look at Numbers chapter 33, it gives kind of a chronological order of their journey. All this is saying is they've, they've been gone for one month. That's it. One month from Egypt. So it hasn't been very long. And that's important for us this morning. Verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people. For you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what, we are, or for what are we that you are grumbling against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, which if you look in your little footnotes, it's about two liters worth of food per person. Each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some, some more, some less. But when the, they measured it with an omer, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Then Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat 
it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called, now the house of Israel called its name manna. And manna, it actually means, um, it's actually pronounced mana as well. It means a whatness. It's the question of what is this thing? So they called it, what is this thing, essentially? So it's just, what? Right? That, that's what they call it. That's what the word manna actually means. So they called it by its name. What is this? It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is important to God to remember. And we see later in Hebrews 9, the bread was actually placed in the Ark of the Covenant. So this was important that God, they, they see how God fed them, and more importantly, what it actually meant, which we'll talk about today. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So this, this part of the story in chapter 16, as well as 17 and 18, really shows about how the Lord provides and specifically bread from heaven. And really what we're seeing here is not only a physical provision, God provides physical food for them, but there's much more. God wants to provide spiritual food for them. They are to be his people. They are a brand new nation. And he wants to draw out what's really in their hearts. What are they really worshiping? What are they really craving at the core of who they are? What are they looking to satisfy that longing that's in them? Are they, are they looking to the Lord? Is he their joy? Does he satisfy them enough? Or do they look to external things? It's a, it's a very simple biblical principle that's throughout the scriptures. And so yes, God provides always and every time. He always provides for our physical needs. He never fails, right? I've been praying this morning that he just, he's never late. He's never wrong. Right? He's good. He's faithful. He gives us exactly what we need. The problem is we want him to give us what we want, right? Not just what we need. And that's what he's trying to help his people understand. He's trying to make a holy nation. And so to do that, he's got he's to tear that sinful pride, that lust, that craving that's in their hearts from, from them. He needs to sanctify them, set them apart. And this is how, part of how he's doing it. So we notice that the manna was provided not just for physical nourishment, which it will do that, but it was provided as a test for them, right? If we look in Deuteronomy, Chapter 8, we'll be in a couple places just as kind of fills in the blanks for us. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 1 through 10. It says, The whole commandment that I command you today, shall, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. The commandment was all about following, trusting God, trusting him implicitly, completely, that he was their savior, that he was their sanctifier. And he says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, 
whether you would keep his commandments or not. He's preparing them to live with him in this new place. Verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He's humbling his people. That they need, to, as much as they need physical nourishment, they, they more need the Lord to nourish them by his word. They need to follow his commandments. They're there to protect them to make them holy, to make them healthy, Scott talked about last week, ultimately so they might glorify their God. So he humbled them by letting them hunger and fed them with manna. And this is heavenly bread. This is some amazing stuff. We don't see this in King Supers or anywhere else, right? This is only for God's people and only for this 40-year period. This is, this is miraculous. And God provided something that was never before seen and never, before, never since has been seen, and it nourished them completely for 40 years, and they could do so many different, it was so versatile, they could do so many things with it. So he knew that they needed physical nourishment, which he provided, but he knew that they wanted something else, and this was to draw that out of their hearts. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. This is a form of discipline. This is to help them. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, and a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and whose hills you can dig copper. And, and, as, and, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the land, for the good land he has given you. This is God's promise to them. And so he's explaining that I, I, I let you hunger a little bit for the things that you miss, for the worldly things that you think will, will, um, will fill or satisfy, but ultimately God wanted to be the main source of their satisfaction. We see God doing this again and again. And so the Lord provides for them always and every time. And I think there's some correlation here with, with us moving to a new year, 2021. There's always that hopefulness, which is good. There's a, the turn of a calendar is a good thing. The blank slate, right? The, we can get a new calendar. We can get a new app on our phone that helps us to stay organized. There's this hope of, of new things. There's this blank canvas, and we can approach it, and, and we can kind of make it what we want it to be, right? And then we look back at the previous year, and we say, well, that was just terrible. But we do that every year. If you, if, if you look, there's, how many of you heard the term dumpster fire before? Anyone here? Okay. Um, the, the year 2020 has been deemed the dumpster fire year. So a dumpster fire is obviously a big dumpster and there's a big fire in it. And it just, it signifies or, or um, elicits kind of a, a picture of just chaos, just disaster, mismanagement, kind of a catastrophic type of event. Interestingly enough, Merriam-Webster in the actual dictionary, there's an entry that says dumpster fire. It's part of our, our current vernacular now, right? So it says an utterly calamitous or mismanaged situation or occurrence, a disaster. And when do we see dumpster fires? Typically on the news when there's some type of violent protesting going on or unrest, civil unrest happening, someone's got to light a dumpster on fire and start rolling it down Main Street, right? That's the, the signal that it, the, the rebellion has begun, right? Interestingly, though, dumpster fire, even though it's been deemed for 2020, and there's actually, so you know those 
apps that have like the Yule log that has a log burning and you can put it on your TV and just watch the crackling log. Now they have apps that there's a dumpster with crackling fire. You can sit and warm yourself by the, the, the disaster of 2020, right? But this entry into the dictionary happened in 2008. And it happened only after two years of this term, dumpster fire, being um, kind of put on different yearly events taking place couple years prior. So 2006, 2007 is when this term started to kind of grow in popularity and became kind of viral. And 2008, they actually put it in there. And it's been used on multiple occasions since. The problem is we just forget, right? We think that last year is the worst just because it's the most recent. And we think this next year is going to be the best because there's all this. And it's not that we shouldn't have hope. The problem of going into a new year is that we take ourselves with us, Right? You've heard the, the common fallacy of sinful man that, well, if I just go to this new place and if I just, just buy this new home and if I just get this new job and if I just, just have this new relationship, then suddenly everything will be fixed, right? I'll be completely satisfied. All the problems will go away. And the, com- <laughs> the common fallacy is, well, no, you take yourself with you to that new job, to that new home right, to that new relationship, all of your problems, all of the things that you carry with you, all of your sinfulness goes with you. And so you just start all over. You might have a different environment, a different scenery, same problems. Because the problem is not going to be solved by external things. We are not satisfied by those things. We're not to live on bread alone, but in every word from the mouth of God. So unless we are a people of the word, we will not be a satisfied people. We will not have contentment. 2021 will be just a different version of a dumpster fire. It might be a blue dumpster instead of a green one. It's not going to really change that much, right? Because we're, we're, we're going into it with the same problems. But if we give ourselves to the Lord and we're in his word, uh, things change. God transforms us. He moves through us in this world. Because what does the world need? They need him, right? They need his truth. They don't need our potential solutions. and all. They, they need the Lord, And that's what we're supposed to be doing as we take the gospel into the world. All of our cravings, all of our longings can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's it. And God will take care of all the other things, right? We see this in the scriptures. Um, Philippians 4.19, Paul is talking to the church and thanking them for provision, financial, physical provision. But he's really encouraging them. It doesn't matter how much you give. God's going to just give back. He's going to take care of all of your needs. It says, and God will supply every need of yours, not every want of yours, every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus according to his riches and glory in Christ. God's going to supply everything we need in Christ, according to the riches and glory. That's a, that's a good storehouse. That's a good pantry to go to, right? There's, there's, there's plenty there for us, and it's all the best stuff. But we settle for the crumbs on the floor sometimes. We, we just want things. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, what you will wear, remember? So for reading the scriptures, we're remembering, oh yeah, God's taking care of the birds. I'm looking at a bird and, and they look fine and they have got a home and they've got food and look at the flowers of the field and God takes care of all these things. How much more is he going to take care of you? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. It's that same principle that we talk about it again and again. And so as a new year begins, we need to remind ourselves what, what, what do we really need? How is 2021 going to be different? Is it because is it you hope that your 401k is going to look better, your job's going to look better? God will take care of all of your needs. As God's people, we don't worry about those things. 
He supplied us from the riches, the storehouses of glory in Christ Jesus. So if you go from a bigger house to a smaller house, if you go from a nice new car to a, to a terrible beater and that you can't stand and doesn't have air conditioning, if you go from one job that you thought was great to a job that you don't like anymore, consider, it th- consider that the Lord is doing something in your life. And don't try to, don't, don't look back at all those old things and think they were the greatest things. Those were the best days. Those were the glory days. No, they weren't. You grumble just as much in those days as you do now. Hopefully we're, we're changing that. We're seeing progression. And that's what's happening with God's people, with Israel. They've been gone one month, and what's the first thing? They went from singing this amazing song, watching God do all these incredible plagues, and and devastating an entire country that had enslaved them for over 400 years. They were in bitter, remember, we've just read through all that. They were in bitter, harsh slavery, crying out to the Lord in pain and agony and helplessness and hopelessness. They're crying out to him. They can do nothing. They can't save themselves. And what does God do? He provides everything for them. Through his promise of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he promises to to make them a great people, to make them a great nation, to take them to a promised land. So he begins to fulfill that promise. He, He provides them with Joseph to start with and brings them to Egypt in the first place to save them from a famine. He provides for their physical needs. He puts them in Goshen, in this land where they can flourish. It's the best land of all of Egypt. How do they get that? Because God gave it to them. And their livestock are flourishing, and they're flourishing, right? God's providing everything. And they get to the point where Pharaoh begins to get scared of them because they're, they're flourishing so much, because God's so good to them. And so he, Pharaoh tries to kill them and kill the baby boys, and, and, and God thwarts that. And God provides a deliverer because they're crying out to him. He provides Moses, Right? And God provides all of these plagues. God provides justice for his people by completely ruining Egypt's complete. Their, their economy is, is trashed, right? Their basic needs of water and, and food have been diminished. Relationally, he killed the firstborn of all of Egypt. And what else? God provided atonement, salvation for his people through the blood of a lamb. He provided a way for them to be protected from his wrath, and then God provides, Scott talked about last week, a national treasury. I love the way he put that. This is a new nation that had nothing. And so they plundered all of Egypt, gold, silver, clothing. They took everything. And God provided a way through a sea on dry ground. Amazing. And he completed the victory over his enemies by drowning all of the Egyptians. And God provided his very presence in the pillar of cloud, on the pillar of fire. Incredible. Right? He's providing all these things. He provided, he, he changed bitter water into, into sweet water, even though he had something better for them in mind. He was gracious to them and provided what they needed. Right? And he provided rest and refreshment. Now God's taking them to the next stage, into the desert. And immediately, within one month, they're grumbling and they're, they're, they're misremembering all the things from Egypt. Right? And so a couple of things as we look at this grumbling. First of all, this isn't a, this isn't a, a uh, kind of a righteous groaning. This isn't a uh, kind of a psalmist humble lamentation or lament of, of things or a sorrow for sin or even a cry out for help from the Lord. That's not what this is. This is complete open rebellion against God. This is questioning the goodness of God, the very character of God. Can he really provide Later in chapter 17, the question comes out out of all of this, is the Lord among us or not? They're questioning this God that they just saw do all of these amazing things. How, how can that be? It's only been a month. That's how quickly we can turn. That's how, that's how much the physical in our life drives us, right? I looked at these, 
these Israelites in this time, and they're, they're talking about food, and they're, a, they're definitely hungry, they're angry, but they're spiritually hungry, and they're spiritually angry too. There's a, there's a, I love the term hangry. I don't know why. I just love it, right? Because when you get hungry, you get kind of, you just change. Like, I need, I need food right now, right? We, we've all experienced that to some degree. We can't focus anymore, right? We need something right now. I know when my sons are hungry, it sounds like a herd of elephants coming down the stairs. It's as if they've never had a meal before. And they crash through, and there's stuff flying, and it's like, oh, they finally got, no, they're just, they kind of wait to the last minute. And when we're hungry, we do things we wouldn't normally do. Remember Esau? What did he do? He came in from the field and, and, and he was exhausted and he just wanted the, the pot of stew that his brother was, was cooking. And Jacob was conniving and said, well, I'll give it to you. Give me your birthright. Give me your inheritance. Give me the, the place of honor in the family. And what did Esau do? I don't care. I'm about to die. That's how he felt. There were no crackers in the cupboard. He really had to give up his entire inheritance for some stew. What is this really exposing? It, is it, it's really exposing his heart. He despised his birthright. He, did, he, he didn't really care about the things of God. He cared about his, he lived by his stomach, by his earthly, by his physical cravings. And we do the same thing. And God, as in his wisdom and in his love for his people, wanted to, to rip that out of them and show them and test them and try them and, and refine them. And so we see this, this grumbling taking place. And what happens when they begin to grumble? What happens when we're hangry, right? It's even spiritually, what happens to us? We forget. It leads us to remember incorrectly. Grumbling leads us to remember incorrectly. They just left a month ago. They just left 400 years of bitter, harsh slavery. The scars are still healing on their backs from their taskmasters. And what are they doing? They're sitting just dreaming about these pots of meat and bread to the fill, right? Is that really what they're after and how they question the Lord? They're, they're, what, they're, what they're essentially saying and they're grumbling is, we trust in Egypt and we trust in Pharaoh more than we trust in you, Yahweh, the great I am, the self-existent one. Why? Because they're, are they really physically hungry or what's, what else is taking place here? They're, they're remembering incorrectly. So it leads us to remember things incorrectly. And this is an entire congregation. This is over 2 million people collectively grumbling about their wants and this craving that they have. And also they, it leads us to blame other people. They begin to blame Moses and God's servants. And ultimately Moses and Aaron wisely said, well, what, what does it have to do with us? We're just t- saying what God tells us to say and we're doing what God tells us to do and we're going where God tells us to go. So why are you blaming us? It's easy to lash out at the messenger, right? The person right in front of you. But I love what happens here um, in verse nine, back in chapter 16 in Exodus, Moses and Aaron say to the people, the whole people, whole congregation of Israel, come near before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. You want to grumble? That's fine. Let's, let's go talk to the Lord about that. And they looked out in the desert and they, saw the, and they saw the glory of the Lord in the cloud, right? To remind them of who he is. Sometimes we grumble against the wrong people. We grumble against maybe leaders in the church. We grumble against people in our Bible studies. We grumble against people in our families instead of taking those things to the Lord. What's really, there, when we have a complaining spirit, there's something wrong. We're not being satisfied in the right way. We're allowing our cravings, our earthly cravings to take over and we get angry about it. If we look at Numbers chapter 11, um, real quick, this is 
further down the road here. Now God's providing for them, right? He's providing manna, he's providing quail, he's gonna provide, he's so gracious. They are grumbling and God is gracious, right? And then we see later on as they leave Sinai, and this is further in the story here, not that much further, but further on in chapter 11 of Numbers, and we still see the same thing taking place. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah, because of the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the fish. Now they're, now they're thinking about fish. Here's the problem. For one of the issues here is, remember, they brought all of their livestock, right? They have plenty. Of, they've got goats and lambs and cows. They, they have meat if they really want it. Now, if they named all their animals and brought them in as part of the family, that's going to be harder to do, right? You can't slaughter, you know, someone that you name. and You're, you're not supposed to name your animals, right? For that reason. But... Otherwise, they have everything. They have milk. They could probably make cheese. They, they have provision. The Lord has provided them with all of this livestock. And they, they have, their livestock has grown as much as they have over the years because they had a good land to do that. So they actually have things here, but they're still complaining to the Lord. You see that it's, it's not really about the food, right? This is why God's testing them. It's the sense that they're just petulant children sitting on the ground, stomping their fists, red-faced, and no matter what you try to give them, they don't want it. Like, like they will not be satisfied by anything. I remember, um, you know, I babysat with, with my wife or maybe some family, um, you know, nieces or nephews before, and I'm in a room, and this is before I had kids, so I didn't know what to do. And they, were, they would just scream for no reason. And like, okay, so I bring a toy. How about this? No, that's not going to work. You want the snack? No. Do you want it in my car? What do you want so that you'll quiet down because I don't know what to do right now? It's freaking me out. Right? I don't know how to help this, this little one. And so they're red-faced and they're crying, and they just, they don't, they, they want something, but they don't know what they want, right? They're not satisfied with anything that you bring to them until their mom and their dad come in the room, right? And their mom and their dad picks them up, and they hold them, and then they're, they're quiet, and they're satisfied being in the presence of their parents. That's what they really needed. Yes, they need food. Yes, they need snacks. They don't need my car. They need some toys occasionally, right? They need some things, some physical things, but what do they really need? They need the, the surety, the presence of their parent, of their loving father, their loving mother. So I picture the Israelites just, just kind of sitting up. They don't, they're, they're, they're being ripped from all that they know. God's training them to be a new people. They have only known slavery. And so even though they are free, they keep going back in the cage. Remember how good it was back then when we were being whipped when we were being ruthlessly put into bitter service, when, when we, we didn't have any freedom to do anything, we couldn't even worship our God, we could, we could do nothing. Remember how good that meat tasted? Do we do the same thing? Do we re- remember incorrectly what God has done? We'll come back to that in a minute. And so now they're, now they're remembering fish. Okay, maybe they didn't bring fish with them, I don't know. Um, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons. Now they're remembering the fact that everything was free. It was just a giant buffet. And we were just skipping around and lounging around and hanging out within our robes. And, you know, we were, this is just a great time in Egypt. And it was, they were crying out for salvation. And now they're remembering that, oh, fish were free. Like, well, that's how fickle we are. That's how much we allow things to impact us. 
The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at, right? This miraculous angel's food from heaven that God is providing for them to nourish them completely, and they're sick of it. Ultimately, they're, they're completely defiant. They're in open rebellion against God. And so then Moses complains, why did you give me this pe- these people? And this is ridiculous, Lord. And then the Lord appoints aides to help Moses. And, and then what does God say in verse 18? And say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. You, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it, is, it was better for us in Egypt. It's questioning God's goodness. Was it better for you when you were lost? Was it better for you when you were outside of the church, when you didn't know the Lord Jesus and you could just sin away and do, was it better for you to warm yourself around the dumpster fire of a year without Jesus? Or did you have hope? Did you have contentment? Did you have peace? Knowing that whatever happens in this world, you have a loving heavenly father who will provide everything for you. He is sovereign. He is good. In his providential care, nothing can take place in your life apart from his will. Nothing. And yes, he will provide all the physical things that you need, not the things that you just want. As a good father, though, he often gives us things that we want as well, right? But only when we can handle it, only when it's good for us. That's who he is. And so if God strips away things because of people that are in certain places of authority in our nation, because of a certain virus, and because of you know, mandates and overreach, and because whatever takes place in this world and things are taken from us, the Lord is still the one that's to satisfy us. We still can rejoice in him. He will provide for you. He'll give you food. He'll give you water. He'll give you shelter. He'll give you what you need to live. But ultimately, he wants to be the center of your affection, not the cravings of your stomach. And so here, here's what's going to happen to Israel, who are clamoring and crying out and not trusting him, saying, for, for it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? God, is, is this really what you want? Are these worldly things that much better than God? Is this really what you want? Fine, I'll, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going I'm to give you so much food I'm, it's going to come out of your nostrils. That's how much you're going to, you're going to hate this food because that's not really what you need. I'll provide the food for you. So God is, he's, he's addressing the sinful cravings of our heart. What are we looking for besides God and how, how can we remove those from our life? And so I would encourage you as you, as you read through this passage and as you consider how God led his people and what he was doing by testing them, by humbling them, that you would consider what are the things that you're craving as you move into this new year? What are the areas of sin that you keep coming back to again and again and again? And you feel like, I'm just, you, you, as believers in Christ, you are free. You're freed from the bondage of sin. Now, we are being sanctified and we are not perfect and we will contend with this flesh and this fallen world. We, we know that, but God is with us. We are to be growing in our holiness. So if you have a sin that you just keep coming to again and again, what are you really craving? Just stop and think about that. What, is, what need is this meeting in my life? What am I looking for? And ultimately, you'll find that Jesus Christ can satisfy whatever that is. There are plenty of um, examples that I could give to you this morning, but I think, I think you know um, 
one of the things that we do in the new year to try to kind of get a jump start, to try to um, fix all the problems, to put out that fire from last year, right, and get a nice new clean dumpster for the new year. One of the things we do is we, 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 we get new calendars. We, we do all these things. We try to set up things, which is not bad, to organize, to discipline ourselves. Think of what you're trying to overcome through those, through those items, through those disciplines, through those new, new things that you're purchasing. What are you trying to solve? What problem, what area of your life are you trying to overcome that you didn't last year that you think the new year will help with? Look at that. Consider that. Consider, what am I really craving here? And, and how, how can I just take that to the Lord today? And say, Father, I... I I'm going to try to fix this on my own like I did in 2020 and 2019 and I'm going to buy all this stuff and it'll, this is going to help me but I didn't do it two years ago and I didn't do it last year and I'm here to start again. Well, what is that thing that you keep trying to overcome in your own strength and give that to the Lord consistently, daily, talking with him, asking him, pleading with him because when, if, if you're going to try to lift yourself up God will humble you, right? But if you humble yourself before the Lord, he lifts you up. God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before, Lord, I can't fix this. I keep sinning like this. This part of my life is a mess and I just can't figure it out. And yes, 2021's here and I'm hopeful that I can change all these things. But Lord, I, I know I can't because I keep trying and I've done it over and over and over again. I keep forgetting how bad last year and the year before was and I don't want to do that anymore. So I give this to you, Father. Help me. I don't, I don't know where to begin, Lord. Have that conversation with your, with your Father in heaven. Talk to him about it. Give that to him. Humble yourself before him. Lord, I have a craving. I have, I have sin that needs to be torn. I've seen that sin, Lord, during this whole COVID thing and during this election cycle because I was so devastated and I was so fearful and I was so distraught and I was so tired. Why? Because of all the things of man taking place around me. I was letting all of these external things Drain me, Lord, because I put all of my hope in them. I didn't realize it until you started taking it away. And now I realize I, I've, I've been craving the wrong thing. I've been looking for satisfaction in the wrong thing, Lord. Thank you for removing all of that. Thank you for showing me my little temper tantrum here. And that I don't need this toy. I don't need this thing. I don't need all these, these things I keep trying to purchase. I just, I just need to be with you, Father. Will you just be with me? Would you help me, Lord? That's what we all really want, desperately, in the depths of who we are. We crave intimacy with our Father in heaven. That's what we're made to. And until we get that, we're going to keep trying to fill it with all this other stuff. You've heard the story. And so God, in his loving care of his people, said, I'm going to give you what you need to physically survive, but I'm not going to give you what you want. You don't even know what you want. I'm going to show you what you need. And that's a God who will love them and protect them and walk with them. And he wants them to obey him and bring him glory. And so what are some behaviors for us? What are some applications? I've talked about a few of them. Some things for us to avoid, some things for us to adopt this new year. The first thing is just to remember correctly. And we do that by recalling our former life with, without Christ, how we used to walk in this world, remembering those things. That's part of our testimony. When we share our testimony with people and about what God has done, we remember who we used to be. We remember how we used to walk. I don't know about you, but whenever I share my testimony and say, this is who I was before, this is what God did in my life, this is who I am now, I'm greatly encouraged after that conversation. Whether the other person is interested or they fell asleep or they left the room by the time I'm done, I don't know. But either way, I'm encouraged because I can't believe what God did. 
I'm, I'm amazed at it. We need to remember correctly. We need to stop believing the lies that it used to be better. It used to be better without, without all these rules and all this you know, going to church stuff. And, and, and you know, Satan just whispers in our ear and lies to us about everything, and we start to take it in. We start believing these things. Man, I really, I really miss. It was such, it was, those were the best days when I was an unbeliever, and I was just a compulsive liar, and I just lied all the time. And then I had to cover up my lies to make sure people didn't find out what I was saying to them. And I lost my job and I lost my relationship. And man, those are the, those are the greatest days ever, right? And that's what Israel is doing. And that's what we do. And it seems ridiculous when we say it out loud, but we remember incorrectly. We need to stop grumbling, remember correctly. And part of how we do that is, is being in God's word. We don't live on bread alone. We don't live on the external things. God provides those. Those are details. But we live on every word from the mouth of God. We have to be in His Word. Um, <clears throat> I'll send a we'll, we'll send a link out this week with some some helps for you as it relates to Bible reading plans. Um, these things can can be good or bad depending on how you approach them. If you're legalistic and perfectionistic, and they can be a hindrance to you and a stressor, and you feel like you have to check it off, and that's not what this is for. It's just to get us in God's word. It's to help create an environment where we can be accountable, but also to keep us a little bit organized because we let priorities and other things get in our way. And so I've got copies. There's some copies out at the welcome desk of a five-day-a-week so if you miss a day or two, it doesn't feel like you have to catch up that much. But there's a five-day-week reading plan. Um, you can take a physical copy today with you, or we'll send a link out. Um, and if you are not on our email list, please let us know at the welcome desk, and we'll, we'll get you on there. Um, this is a good thing. And honestly, I've, I don't think I've ever gone through a full Bible reading plan perfectly. I know some people that, that do. Um, I, I personally am not that organized. I don't think that linearly, but it, it helps me because I keep it in my study. I keep it by my chair where I have time with the Lord. I open the Bible, and it helps me just to remember that I want to take in all of God's Word. I want to I know all this stuff, and I can't know all of it when I'm studying in depth um, throughout the week or a Bible study. This just gives me general information. It kind of allows the full scope of Scripture to inform me. What you'll find is whatever you're reading that day, even if you skip a few days or you miss a week or whatever, you're faithful to be in God's word. You're prayerful about it. And okay, I'm supposed to be in Genesis. And, and so I'm, I'm going to read this today. And you read it and then you go to your Bible study. You talk to someone at work and you'll find that God uses that word both to encourage you, to grow you, but also to give you something to speak to someone else. It's, it's amazing how it happens. So those are there as, as a resource for you, not as a burden. Right? We're not going to have a scroll of names listed up here, people that accomplished whatever at the end of the year. That's not what we're going to do. Um, but if it's helpful for you, take it. And if you get halfway through it and you think you're a failure because you only made it six months in, think the other direction. I just read the Bible for six months. I read a half of the Bible this year when in previous years I've read hardly anything. Just consider that it's, it's a way to help you consume God's word. <clears throat> So be in God's word and don't put our hope in the new year and life after COVID and don't, let's not remember things incorrectly. Second thing is just replace your grumbling with prayer. What would happen if the people, two million plus people, collectively would pray to the Lord instead of grumble to him? What would have happened here? What amazing things would have taken place? Instead of grumbling about Moses, what if they prayed for their leader? We're going to look at God's provision of leadership in a couple of weeks, but how often do we grumble against people in, in positions of authority instead of praying for them, asking God to help them? 
So let's stop our grumbling. We're not supposed to grumble. Read Philippians chapter two. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We're, we're to live differently. And the last thing, remember correctly, replace our grumbling with prayer. Last thing, stop letting your stomach, your physical needs and desires run your life. We saw this in Deuteronomy 8 and Matthew 4. Jesus quotes that we do not live by bread alone. We shouldn't be anxious about our life. God is testing our faith by removing things, and that's a good thing. As we close, um, we'll look at John chapter 6 as a New Testament example of this same thing taking place. In John chapter 6, this is the passage about the bread of life, and I'll just read a couple excerpts. You can read the whole thing on your own. Um, You may recall Jesus is feeding the 5,000, which... That's 5,000 men, so it's, it's more likely it's fifteen to 20,000 people. And he, he feeds them with, with bread, bread and loaves, and there's, there's hardly anything there, and God miraculously provides for them. It's interesting, right, how, how there's a correlation here. And God's setting some things up here that teaches people. And so he feeds all these people, and they eat their fill, and there's leftovers, and then the disciples leave, and Jesus leaves. On the next day, this is uh, John chapter 6, verses 22, as we close our time. On the next uh, day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that he, uh, there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread and after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, and he's just, he's just going right to the heart, right? They're trying to have pleasantries, and like, yeah, how, how are you doing, Jesus? How's your new year? Like, how's, you know, how's work, right? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Not because of miracles, but because their, their stomachs were full. That's how much we let our stomachs lead us. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must, he do, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, is, who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, that is it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're, they're invoking this story. What kind of, what kind of fun, other, what are some, some other tricks you're going to do, Lord? Let's see some signs here. Let's see some proof, even though he just gave it to them. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, the, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, um, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled, it's a familiar word, grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Do you see that they're doing the same thing? 
What do they want? They wanted a different Messiah. They wanted a different king. They wanted to be in places of authority. They wanted power. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. You're not the Messiah that we want. So they grumbled against him. We don't want that manna. We want something else. They grumbled against him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they questioned, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? They've been waiting for this Messiah and he's here. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll take something else. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be all taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. The physical nourishment of the manna only lasts for a time. They're physically going to die. Spiritually, what's going to happen after they die? That's what Jesus is concerned about. That's what God was always concerned about, making a people for himself, not just filling up stomachs, but bringing those who are lost into heaven. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that you provide for us in your word of the Israelites and how you made a people who were not a people, but you chose them, you loved them, you called them out of Egypt, you saved them miraculously. And Lord, not only did you save them, you, you sanctified them. And although they grumbled and were faithless, Lord, you were full of grace and mercy. And ultimately, Lord, you provide us with what we really need, which is the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. He gave his life for us. That is what we need. Forgive us, Father, for going after the things in this world that we think will satisfy. They don't. Lord, we give you our cravings this morning for earthly things. We are citizens of heaven now. We are to look heavenward. We're, we're to put all those things away. We're to lay aside all the weight and the sin, sin that, that clings to us so closely, Lord. And We're to look to you, Lord Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. We're to move forward in faith. And so, Father, as we enter a new year, Help us to remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, that he has satisfied your wrath and he has satisfied our souls. And I pray that you would help us to live for you and not for the things of this world, that we would put our hope in you and not all the external things, Father, that we, have, we used to put our hope in. Help us to remember correctly, Lord, not to be grumblers, but people of prayer, people of the word. Help us not to live by our stomachs, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.